Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by John Crumpton. For more podcasts, news and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. We've been looking over the last few weeks. Thanks everybody for being online and staying with us. But we've been looking through a series which we've called Look to the Rock. And we took it from Isaiah 51. And we're looking to see what, what if, what's the quarry that we've come out of. The Lord has been chiseling us and shaping us into these living stones that we might be fitted rightly into the living temple. Don't you know that you, yourselves, plural, are being built together into the holy temple? Yes? All right, and so he's building us up. But he's shaping us. So Isaiah 51 says, hey, think about the quarry from where you came. Look to your father, Abram. Look to your mother, Sarah. In other words, look to your roots. Look to your heritage. Why are you the way you are? And it's really good for us in the context of our spiritual journey to recognize that there's certain things that the Lord has given to us as an inheritance. And when you get an inheritance, you need to steward it well. You don't just want to squander it. A previous generation paid a price to give us something of value. Many times we observe in the natural where a previous generation worked extremely hard to build up, say it's wealth, resource, whatever. Build up a business. They hand it over to the next generation and they didn't pay the price and you know, it's kind of like easy come, easy go. Often by the time you get to the third generation, they have lost the contact from the ones who paid the price. They just like received it so easily that they do not recognize its value. And so often that inheritance is squandered. It's lost by the third generation. I mean, you can think of many examples in many families where that's taken place. In the spirit realm, we often observe the same kind of thing happening from generation to generation. A a previous family of believers paid an enormous price to apprehend something in the realm of the spirit, to break into new ground, to reach for more of the Lord. And because they paid an enormous price, they treasure it and they value it. Now, as kingdom people, the secrets of the kingdom are for us. And so it's up to us to steward things well. Okay. So, in my next three hours that I have with you. You ready? Ushers have locked the back doors. We're good to go. In the next little while, I just want to talk to you about one of the things that dad, who was obviously my earthly father, but it was also was our spiritual father as the the founder of the network of churches that we're part of. As as he walked through things, we walked through those things together as well. But we can learn from some of these things. These are values that we have as the people of God, but they come from somewhere. From, From our earliest days, I knew we weren't rich, 
But I also knew that we had everything we needed. That God was our provider. We might not have had the fanciest car, but we had a car. For some amazing reason, the house we lived in had, been, had belonged to the first mayor of the city of East London. It was a massive double-story house with about 10 bedrooms. We were a large family. It was a ministry house. And some of the rooms were then converted into a meeting venue downstairs, could accommodate 120 people in our lounge. So this was in the charismatic renewal, early 1970s, before there were you know, free churches. It was, you, know, you had denominational churches, you had a couple of Pentecostal churches, there was the invisible church, as we mentioned, we weren't able to find them. There was a group called the Invisible Church, yeah. Uh, anyway, so, you know, gathering together was, uh, was an unusual thing for people who were really going after the things of the Spirit. But we lived in this massive house that God provided. Again, supernaturally. My dad was without income. We'd moved from the great mighty metropolis of Cathcart, down to East London, and uh, we were staying with my grandparents who did not understand what on earth the crazy preacher was doing. Stayed with them for a, for a while, and then there was this house that came up for sale, and for whatever reason, uh, Hadn't, hadn't gone, got sold. So my dad put in, they felt to put in a particular price, uh, you know, and uh, it was accepted. Then they went to go and find money. And uh, in somebody who was connected to the bank circles said, listen, don't tell anybody, but um, I know that that particular bank has just received a massive amount of money from the reserve bank and they're looking for clients. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And uh, so my dad went there, and uh, the bank manager kind of like, well, you got no job, you got no income, you got no savings, and you want to buy this massive house. It's like, how's this going to work? And then uh, the guy looked across the desk, and he said, in rather unsavory language, which I shan't repeat because this is church, He'd just been diagnosed with cancer and he had six months left to live. And he said, I'm going to do one beep, beep, beep good thing before I die. I'm going to give you the bond. And, uh, and so the house, that massive house was bought. So we as children grew up knowing that God would supply, even though there was no fixed income. There was a little box that was you know, on the outside of the front door and people would drive by, stop and walk down the, the path and drop some gifts in the box there because of the ministry that we were in, involved in. And it would always come at the right time. It did mean that at times mom and dad would spend many hours in the front study on their knees just reminding the Lord of the situation. <laughs> Not that God doesn't know, but they would pray. And the Lord would, would move again and again and again. I, I remember a story that Dad told very often about... After he'd been born again, which was a sovereign, supernatural experience at age 16, when he was about 19, he went to a, a different church, and uh, there was a call 
for people to respond to go to the mission field. And he felt very clearly impressed by the Holy Spirit. It's you. And he went and responded. And they said, okay, uh, you know, next steps, you need to go and talk to the guys at the Bible Institute about training and getting ready. So he went, made an appointment and uh, he went to go and see the principal. And principal said, okay, well, how are you going to, you know, pay for your tuition? Dad said, well, I've got a, a job. You know, I'll save up over some months and then I'll, I'll come and, you know, see. And the principal had an envelope on his desk. And he said, the timing of your coming here is significant. I've just received a letter. The very time that you were... Hmm, that you were responding to the call of the Lord in Cape Town. There was a mine manager in Johannesburg on Sunday evening in his study. And the Lord said to him, there's someone in Cape Town who's going to the mission. I want you to pay his full tuition and board for three years. That was the early 1950s. That lesson stayed with dad has been in a sense passed along to us. It's up to us to steward those, those testimonies of God's faithfulness. When we have nothing, we do what we can do and we walk in obedience God will move supernaturally even in the hearts of people we do not yet know but whose hearts are inclined towards the Lord's ear whose hearts are for the kingdom and are looking to see the kingdom advance. God has got all the resources necessary in order to advance his work. I remember phrases that my parents used to repeat to us. God is no man's debtor. In other words, if you give up something for God, if you give something to God, God will never be indebted to you. He will always outpay you in return. His blessings result in abundance. Come on. You could never sacrifice more than what God is able to return to give you and bless you. The, the amazing thing is so often the key to releasing the Lord's favor is actually in sacrifice and surrender to his will. I also remember my mom taking the finances that came in and then allocating it into little envelopes or those little see-through, you know, you get those plastic bank bags the coins and the old notes. And those days, coins meant something. Yeah. But stewarding the finance as well. You know, perhaps there's a, there's a greater flow of fi funds and finances through our hands. But the Lord is going to look to us in terms of accountability what did you do with what I gave you? And stewarding our resources well to he who is faithful with a little, more will be given. So steward what you've received. Money, it's not a big deal to God. One of my mom's other favorite scriptures was, ah, oh, 
My father, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. In other words, God's got more than enough. So if we steward the hundreds of rands well, then we'll be trusted with the thousands. If we steward the thousands well, we'll be entrusted with the hundreds of thousands. For some, it's going to be the millions. Hmm? Yeah. Lisa, yesterday as we were driving, the prayer drive, we said, Lord, thank you that you are giving innovative ideas and solutions to members of the congregation, and particularly we're thinking of the younger generation. And they were going to steward billions for the kingdom. Why not? Why not? Yay! Come on. We need to expand the way we think. I know for some of us, during this, this season, it's kind of like, you know, how, how can we manage all this stuff? Don't allow this sort of narrowing to restrict our mindset. It's okay to go through a narrowing without getting your mindset restricted to thinking it will always be narrow. Come on. God has called us to be part of the advance of the kingdom right around the planet. Three people are with me. Okay. He is going to supply whatever we need in order to do that. Of course he is. All right. A couple of scriptures for you. Okay, more than a couple. You ready to write down a couple of, couple of scriptures? It's always good for us to, to come back and to, to anchor things in the scriptures. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. How many righteous people in the building? The rest of you are not sure. Okay, let me help you now. If you believe in Jesus, that he died in your place to remove all of your sins and your failure, to make you right with God, you therefore are righteous. Let me ask the question again. How many people, how many righteous people do we have in the building this morning? Fantastic. All right. It says the righteous will live by faith. Okay. Every single one of us lives by faith. Whether you have a regular income or not, whether you have a salary or not, you live by faith. Yay! Right? You see, we've, we've allowed a strange kind of division to, to happen in the body of Christ. You know, we have everybody who has a regular job or they're entrepreneur or whatever it is. And then we have this other bunch of super spiritual people and they don't do full time, they, they don't work in, in, in sort of secular occupations. They are in full time ministry and they live by faith. And we have this crazy thinking that we perceive that it's only these, these people who live by faith. No. Every single one of us live by faith. Every single one of us has to trust God that he would meet our needs. He can use your boss. He can use another contract. He can use gifts, all kinds of things. God is going to look after his children because he's a good father. Amen. Amen. Psalm 37, 
26. I was young and now I'm old. Uh, that's the psalmist speaking here. <laughs> Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and they lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Isn't that amazing? I'm so glad that the psalmist put those two verses side by side. Because the one is, you know what? The children of the righteous, they don't have to beg bread. In other words, God is going to take care of their daily needs. But more than that, there is more than enough. There is an abundance because you know what? You can only be generous and lend freely if you have more than enough. I, th I thought more than four of you would have been excited about that. Yeah? Wow. This is a bit of wisdom literature that's been sort of inserted into the Psalms here. This is kind of like, wow. Hey, God's not going to leave us to be a bunch of beggars. Okay. How's this? We're back to Jeremiah chapter 29. This is the, the wonderful lockdown passage. All right, Jeremiah 29 verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. All right, for all those people who are against prosperity, I'm sorry, but your issue is with God. Because He's got plans for you, and those plans are to prosper you. Yo, now I've lost five. No. You know what I mean? Sometimes we, we see people abuse things and then we don't want to have anything to do with it because of the abuse. Right? Well, you know, people abuse pro prosperity and, and half of these preachers are just using it to get more money. Yeah, that's abuse. I agree with you. It shouldn't be used that way. Mm-hmm. But you know, many people have abused marriage. But it's amazing how people still want to get married. So just because there's abuse doesn't mean that God doesn't want to do things right well. God is super prosperous. Think about it. He lacks nothing. We're made in his image. Moving along. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We have hope. We have a future. The best is yet to come. Right? Then you will call on me and you will come and pray. I will listen to you. You will seek me. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Sounds a bit like revival. Mm -hmm. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The, the one translation says that um, when I will, I will bring you back, it actually inserts into that whole thing, I will restore your fortunes. God's okay with restoration and he's okay with restoring 
the years that the locusts have eaten, he's okay with restoring your fortunes. Oh, God is punishing me because of all this stuff. No, no, no. Because we know from John chapter 10 and verse 10, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and have it to the full. Some translations say, have it abundantly. So, no, it's not God who is, you know, taking everything away from you. It's the thief. It's the enemy. He doesn't want to see you succeed. But we have fullness of life. Yay. All right. Let's just pop to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed my concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. See, that's a huge key for us as believers, this thing of contentment. I've learned to be content whether there's little, and I've learned to be content if there's plenty. Now, most of us, we think, you know what, the tough part is learning to be content if there's little. Actually, that's probably easier than learning to be content when there's much. The people who have plenty, they're always trying to go for that little bit more, that little bit more to find satisfaction. They're never content. It's always got to be an upgrade of this or a new that or another or another. Restless, not content. No, we need to learn how to be content because we're stewarding. Whether we're stewarding a little or we're stewarding a lot, we have to learn to be content in that process of stewarding. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That scripture is to do with being content. I can do this. I can learn to be content because God is going to empower me and enable me with the strength of heaven in order to be content. God is going to give me the power to do this. He will strengthen me. Because when we're in a place of contentment, we're in a place of opening up our hearts and allowing the Holy Spirit to carry us along where He wants to take us. Right? When we're in a place of discontent, typically we're in a place of bitterness, accusation, groaning and moaning. It's not fair. Look what they've got. Oh, look what the government's doing. Look what they're doing with my taxes. And in a place of being a victim, and you embrace that mentality, that attitude corrupts the way in which you look at the world. And you become tainted and you become toxic to people around you. But when we are in a place of, Lord, thank you, daily bread, yay, more than enough. I'm looking across at you, and through these many months, you have had the more than enough, I can see. You each, a lot of you have had an expanding ministry over these last, <laughs> these last few months. He's given us more than our daily bread. He's carried us through. 
Wow, in that place, Lord, thank you. Now in that place of free connection with heaven, not corrupted and tainted by bitterness and you know, envy and you know, jealousy and all these things. It's kind of like we can be a blessing to others. Right? All right, verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. So he had, he had a bit of financial difficulty. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me uh, aid more than once when I was in need. Now, not that I desire your gifts, okay? He's not trying to manipulate them, right? He's not kind of like, yeah, yeah, thanks so much, but you know, I'm in need again. He's kind of like, no, no, no. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. You know, when we give, when we are engaged in this ministry of giving and receiving, something gets put in an account. What account? Where? Your treasures in heaven account. You've heard it said, you can't take it with you. Have you heard that? Well, it's only partially true. Listen, they can put all the gold bars and coins and whatever in the coffin with you. You can't take it with you. It will remain behind. But what you can do, you can send it ahead. You can send it ahead through giving and receiving. You put it in your treasures in heaven account. Listen, you want a mansion in heaven? Would you guys like a mansion in heaven? Yeah, thought so. Thought so. Hey, let's get involved in this giving and receiving. Bless others. All right? Verse 18. For I've received full payment and have more than enough. Yeah? This is a guy in jail. I've got more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply, will meet all your needs. Why? The confidence comes in knowing that they had given. You can't outgive God. God is no man's debtor. If we give as unto the Lord, He will repay, He will pour out the blessings. Nineteen-year-old Derek Crumpton. Lord, I give you my life for the mission field. Here you go. Three years worth of tuition, board lodging for free. Before you even had your first day. You see that? I give you everything. Supply all you need. It's not hard. <laughs> Costly, but not hard. You want to see a revival? You thought it was a trick question, you didn't answer. <laughs> you want to see a revival? Of course we do. It will be costly. It'll cost us. Might be our money, might not be. 
more likely it'll cost our lives. You mean we're going to die? No, not necessarily. It's the laying down of our lives. Living cruciform. I have been crucified with Christ. It's that sacrifice of what I want to do when I want to do it. Whew, this is going to cost me. Yeah. But whatever you yield to him. It's this ministry of giving and receiving. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my all. Have your way in me. Yes? Hmm. We need to actually do it, not just sing it. And as we do, whew, the rewards open up. It's not like we give to God the very essence of our being and we sacrifice to Him and then we walk away empty-handed. No. He's always the God of more than enough. And He's the God who will empower us and enable us through His strength that we can do all things that we can live content. And as we do that, he will richly supply all our needs according to his riches, which is a lot more than our riches. Listen, he had so much rich riches, he had to hide it. He stuck it under the ground. We stole gold, silver, platinum, all these different things. He put all those treasures in the ground for us to receive. Isn't that awesome? He has more than enough. Let's just think briefly how God took the people of Israel in Egypt, the land of not enough, into the wilderness, manna, the land of just enough, because they couldn't collect every day and there was just enough for each day. Except for the sixth day when they would collect double portion to cover for the seventh. You remember that? But they didn't just stay in the place of manna. They went into the promised land. The land of more than enough. The land of abundance. The land of harvest. It was also the land of work. They would have to plant the crops in order for the crops to become abundant. Yeah, work is not a curse. Work is part of promised land living. Yay! He brings us out of the place of not enough and he wants us to pass through the place of just enough, we're living on handouts, receiving from other people. He wants to bring us into the place of more than enough that we can be generous and give to others. He wants us in promised land thinking and living. It's not just about us. What can I get on a daily basis just to survive? It's kind of like, no, there's so much more. Come on, let's bless, let's increase. Yeah? So Jesus did a couple of amazing supernatural things. He took five loaves, two fish, and he fed 5,000. Just to prove that it wasn't just a once-off wonder, he also, on another occasion, he fed 4,000 people. And then, after they'd all been fed, they collected basketfuls of leftovers. More than enough. Hey guys, have you caught any fish? Ah, not biting. Well, they, weren't, they were nets. 
No, they're not around to. So listen, go out again. Master, we've been at it all night. But because you say so, they let the cats, let the nets down, catch this miraculous catch. Didn't happen just once, two occasions, crazy miraculous catches of fish. Imagine that. This huge catch of fish, sell it off, they've got plenty of money, they can go cruising with Jesus for another three and a half years. How about the widow? In debt, got nothing? Pour the oil. Get as many containers as you can. Pour the oil. The oil, which was only so much, kept going until all the jars were filled. Sell all the oil. Settle all your debts. The rest, live on. It's miraculous. How about the other widow? A little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. It was drought. Oh, nothing left. We're going to die. God miraculously intervenes. Supplies not only for the widow and his son, but also for the prophet for a bunch of years while the drought was on. So many stories are testimonies of who God is and that he is more than enough. He's able to cause increase and multiplication. All right. We need to bring this to a bit of a close here. I'm going to tell you the story in Genesis chapter 22 as we end. This is one of the passages I found myself weeping. See, here's Abraham. He's been crying out to the Lord. Lord, where's the fulfillment of the promise? The prophetic word. I'll have a son. Eventually, that prophetic word is fulfilled, and Abram has a son, Isaac, which is, his name means laughter. He's the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of laughter. The God of laughter, because he brought joy. He brings joy. He's the God of the city. He's the God of Joyburg. He brings joy and laughter. But Abraham, instructed by the Lord, takes Isaac to go and sacrifice to the Lord, to give him, in a sense, his everything. Isaac was the the apple of his eye. Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise. Isaac was the prophetic word being fulfilled. He said, Lord, I give it back to you. Now, Isaac is a sharp little chap. And he says, Father, I see the wood. I see the fire. I don't see the sacrifice. And Abram says, God himself will provide. And of course we know the prophetic, you know, pointing to Jesus, the sacrifice that God himself provided the sacrifice. He's got Isaac tied up there and Isaac was a very obedient boy. He said, all right. He got tied up. I mean, Abram was an old, old chap by now, eh? 
It's probably about 110, maybe a bit older. So imagine a 110-year-old trying to pick up a boy, put him on the altar, sacrifice him. So I think Isaac, this is John's gospel. I think, I think Isaac cooperated. And he's bound and he's tied. And Abram takes the knife and the angel of the Lord calls out, stop. And relays the message of the Lord. You have not withheld. Now, take the, take the ram. And he looked behind him and there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And that place was called Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. In fact, it became the name of the Lord. Because on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. As I look to the rock, Lord, my life is yours. I say yes. When there's a full yielding to the purposes of God, the provision of the Lord supernaturally opens up. God is good. He's a good father. He's a good provider. We can trust him. Whatever the little is that we can give to him, he will give back, pressed down, shaken together, running over. With the measure that we use, we too, it will be measured back to us. So we learnt not only that we live by faith, but we learnt that God is the one who releases supernatural provision. And then he's the God who causes us to live in abundance. My father ended his days with more than enough. more than enough that's our heritage I have every expectation that God will give us what we need when we need it that God will honor the sacrifice that he will give us more than we need supernaturally cause us to live in abundance not that we can just roll around in the blessings for ourselves. No, we're blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand. Can I pray with us, for us? that these truths would become self-evident in our lives. For many of you, you've already been walking in this for so long. This is kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But for some, just needed a little reassurance because there's been a little wobbly of late. It's kind of like, how are we going to make it? And fear and anxiety can creep in. And we just come back to the Word we come back to the testimony of who God is. It anchors our hearts and our minds and causes us to continue to live in faith. Is that good? Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for a timely reminder as we're coming into the spring and things are opening up and we're looking for the green shoots. We thank you that there are many green shoots in our finances. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are causing new growth. You're causing new fruitfulness to occur. We thank you, Lord, that you have been faithful. You are faithful now. And you forever will be faithful in the future. So, Lord, we offer our lives to you again. We say, here we are, Lord. We are yours. Everything we have comes from your hand. And so, we bless you with our lives, our finances, our resources, our possessions that you have given to us to steward on your behalf. Lord, may these things increase, may they be used effectively as a witness to others, and may your name be magnified and glorified in and through the increase. Lord, we're asking for those who do not have jobs, thank you, Lord, there is a position, there is an opportunity for finances and resources to be generated. Thank you, Lord. Businesses are going to the next level. We thank you, Lord, that we will be those who generate employment opportunities for others. Thank you, Lord, for innovations and ideas that cause us to be a blessing to those around us. Thank you, Lord, for those who are uh, on pension and wondering, will it last? We decree God is more than enough and we stand on the testimony of dad. There will always be enough. I bless you with provision for all of your days in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to see the floodgates opening now that you would cause us as we come out of this narrow place into an open wide space that the fields would be harvest time. Harvest time for people coming into salvation but harvest time in terms of finances that there would be a release of resource for the kingdom like we've not seen in a very long time. Thank you Lord. Thank you Jesus. So together we praise you, we bless you, we thank you for who you are, we thank you for what you're doing, we thank you for what what you're doing in our lives, we thank you for one another and the fellowship and the friendship that we have in the family of God. So we ask now for your, your blessing of peace over each one, protection, health and strength. May this place be a super spreader of hope and of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, in advance for your provision. We bless you in Jesus' name.